On this episode, we are bringing you guys baseball icon and legend, Brett Boone. Thrilled to have him on. What a guy. A lot of great stories to tell. And a guy that exemplified what a real ball player is. We'll also be bringing you some of that ridiculous on-the-mark style banter throughout. So gang, sit back, relax, and get ready for another thrilling episode of On The Mark. VIP listeners, this episode of On The Mark is being brought to you by Tommy Copper. Tommy Copper was founded in 2010 with the simple goal of helping people live comfortable, healthy, happy lives. Tommy Copper's comfortable compression apparel, sleeves, socks, and orthotics are designed for everyday wear, providing muscle recovery, support, improved circulation, and helping to reduce pain and swelling. Gang, get on TommyCopper.com right now and use code SOCK25 and order all your compression needs. Summer's right around the corner. You're going to be in the gym. You're going to be trying to be a little more active and get that beach body. Utilize Tommy Copper's groundbreaking technology to get that done. Tommy Copper, the better company for compression wear. Benny, set this one up. Booney! We got the guy, Benny. We got a guy who, when I was a youngster playing baseball, first getting acclimated to the game, a guy I looked up to and admired, played for a lot of great teams. He was a second baseman. I played some second base, loved his approach at the plate, brought a power element that many hitters who played that position didn't bring at the time, had some swag to him, man, had, had a personality, you know, dyeing the hair blonde, the bat flip. He was a tough guy. He was gritty. I like athletes gritty. I like ball players that are gritty. He really, for me, was a, a true representation of an old-school, hard-nosed baseball player. Yeah, I absolutely loved Brett Boone when I was younger, and how could you not love him today? He's an awesome guy, very genuine, very cool guy, very down-to-earth for having such a not-regular life that he's lived. Yeah, Growing baseball up in a clubhouse, royalty. baseball royalty, Great career of his own. Brother had a very nice career. Brother now New York Yankees manager. His dad is an all-time baseball player as well. It's something that it's tough to be humble like he's humble after you've experienced what he's experienced, I'm sure. And I'm going to tell you right now, he's a hell of an author. And here's the other thing. I think he needs to have a talk show. Absolutely. He's a great conversationalist. He makes great conversation. Folks, you're really going to enjoy this talk. If you like baseball, if you're excited for spring training, pitchers and catchers, you know, we put a bow on the football season. It's baseball time. Uh, you're really going to enjoy this episode. Matter of fact, Benny, the Skyfall hotline is ringing as we speak. Patch in our new on-the-mark baseball insider, Brett Boone. All right, folks, I would like to welcome three-time All-Star and legendary baseball guy, Brett Boone, to the show. Brett, you are now on the mark. Now, what's kind of cool about your career, Brett, is you, is you played baseball 
with uh, the, the last three guys that were two-way football and baseball guys with Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, and Brian Jordan. When, uh, when we spoke uh, not too long ago, you had some interesting takes on those guys. Who would you say of those three was the best baseball player? Uh, I think. Well, I didn't play with Bo. I played against against him. Bo. Right. Uh, I I played with Dion for a few seasons, and I played with Jordan for one season in Atlanta. If you're just strictly going on baseball players, uh, I've got to give it to um, Bryant Jordan. Right. Uh, well, it's actually an easy choice for me. You know, the the year I played in Atlanta, I mean, he was. You know, Chipper won the MVP that year, but Bryant was right there. I mean, he was just the constant in the middle of the lineup. And just a good hitter. I think he hit 300 that year and, you know, 25. He was just a good – he was a good player. Uh, so I've got to give the nod to Brian. Did you hit uh, in front of him or behind him? I hit in front of Brian. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a very unique thing. I think it's a cool thing. It's a shame we don't have that in the sports world anymore. Two sport athletes, two, you know, professional guys. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I don't think you're really going to see that anymore. You know, as we discussed before, it's it's just nowadays it's becoming such a specialized sports in general. It's becoming such a specialized industry where, you know, I'm seeing it with the kids today. It's it's like you pick a sport and you play it and you play it year round. Uh, I'm for a little more diversity. I mean, I liked you know the times when I was growing up where you play basketball, you play football, and you play baseball, and you know <laughs> according to the seasons. Uh, but nowadays it seems like you know, if you're whatever it may be, baseball, football, basketball, soccer, um, it seems like you're going year round and, and you've got all these special training and private lessons and travel ball. Uh, you know, I'd like to see a little more of the old school, but but this is how uh, we're developing as a nation. That's just right. The, that's kind of the time right now. And, you know, I think there's some the positive parts of that is is. Uh, I think as time goes on, you're going to see you're going to see the games. You know, in each sport, they're they're going to get better and better as time goes on because these guys are, do give so much time and dedication to their craft. And um, you know, I think you're going to see the athletes get better, get bigger, get stronger. You know, I've already seen it in the last 10, 15 years. You know, you're just seeing a a different kid when they're young at 17, 18. I mean, these guys have been training and. Uh, you know, in the gym and their diets uh, since they were 13, 14 years old. And that's that's something that's just, uh, you know, human development. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, going with that point, I always kind of liked, for instance, a quarterback who, say, m- maybe was a pitcher in high school or college. Right. Because I, right. I think there's things you can take from one sport to the next that give you a um, an edge. So, I mean. Well, I, I, I completely agree with you. You know, I, I always think it's good for kids. And the problem is, is, is how good are you? Right. You know, the elite, elite top guys, you know, if the baseball coach says, well, I need you out here for winter ball. I don't want you playing football. Well, if you're good enough, you, you kind of go, hey, coach, I'm going to play football. And then that coach is just going to welcome him. Back <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, like you know, last night, average, Tom Brady, average, drafted by the right, Montreal Expos. Average, right. If you're an average player fighting for a job on your varsity baseball team, and the coach tells you he doesn't want you playing football. Uh, if you want to play baseball, you you probably shouldn't play football. But there's always going to be that, you know. And it just doesn't go for sports; it goes for anything in life. Exactly. If you're the cream, of the, if you're the cream of the crop, 
guess what? You'll have my services when I feel like you can have them and you're going to be begging for them. Right. You know, if you're that top guy. So, uh, there's still going to be the elite guys that if he wants to pitch and be the quarterback and he's, he's, uh, you know, he's the all American in both sports. Uh, he's, he's going to be the one guy that's allowed to play two sports. Of I just course. don't see, you're going to see it. You're, you, I just don't think going forward, it's going to be as prevalent. If yeah. that makes sense. No, of course. Now, Today's game, baseball, definitely been uh, changing with the the home plate rule, the sliding rule, replay. Uh, what's your take on like where the game's going with, I, I call it the uh, NFLization of Major League Baseball. Um, what's your take on it all? Would you have enjoyed playing with these new rules and uh, whatnot that they have in place? I definitely wouldn't like playing with these rules, you know, and it, and it, the tough part is, is, you know, I worked for the A's for a couple of years and I strictly pretty much 90% of my time was spent with the minor league guys, the prospects down in a ball and double a, and, you know, I'll just give you an example as simple as, as how you apply a tag, you know, we'd have sessions where I'd go out there with all, you know, we'd gather all the middle infielders in camps. They were an instructional ball. And we'd go to second base and, and I would just show technique on how you apply a tag, how you get it in and get it out as fast as you can and show the umpire the ball. Right. Uh, because these methods work for me. I mean, at times where you think, well, he's going to be safe. And all of a sudden you, you apply that, that unbelievable tag and the umpire is almost confused. Like, wow, he's out. Uh, nowadays you can't teach that anymore because what, well, when you get to the big leagues, all of a sudden everything's on TV. So they're replaying everything. So you physically have to put the tag on them, which I don't think is good for the game. I don't think it's good for the players. I think it's dangerous. You yeah. know, to, if a guy's out by 10 feet and he's sliding spikes up, <laughs> right. um, I've got to keep my hand in there to physically touch his spikes. Whereas before, as long as I made a tag showing the ball, beat him there and put the tag down, I can get out of there and protect myself. Uh, so I think that's a bad rule. I think the the catching thing was just a complete – it just confused everybody. The catchers yeah. are brought one way, and now they, they – you know, it's an interpretation of the rule. I think that was ridiculous. Uh, I think the fake to third, throw to first, taking that out of the game, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, how much time does that take up? I know. Ten, ten a, seconds every three games? What a joke. What a joke. Um, I know. And, and, you know, I just think the bottom line is for – who are these people yelling that the games are too long? I, right. I want to meet. I haven't met those fans. You know, that Super Bowl was four hours long. Tell you what, it was a great Super Bowl. It's like going to a movie that's three hours. If the movie stinks, it, it's too long of a movie. If it's great, you don't know how long the movie is. So Exactly. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not in the business of advertising, and I don't know how much it's really affecting the bottom line. I don't have the research and the data. But you got to keep the game uh, purified and, and the way it's meant to be played. I do agree with the instant replay for the fair or foul, especially in, in big games where, you know, is it foul? Is it fair? You know, a home run or a double? Uh, I think we've got to get those plays right. I think the, the bang bang play at first base, um, I, I think it's important that we get that right. So I think that's, that's a fair uh, addition to the game. But as far as all these other kooky rules, it's it's like um, I, I guess I'm just a you know, I don't mean to call them kooky. I mean, it's just I, I guess I'm just a purist and old school and yeah. I like to keep intact 
uh, baseball the way it's meant to be played. Me too. And here's a quote from Rays pitcher Chris Archer that I just loved. I read it the other day, and this is what Chris said. He said, I love the game of baseball the way it is. I think a three-hour baseball game is normal. Baseball is about strategy. If you want checkers, go play checkers. If people don't have the attention span for it, that's on them. And, I mean, he hit the nail on the head for me right there, and that's exactly how I feel. Uh, well, I think the true ba- the true baseball fans, they don't care how long the game is. I mean, who wants to go, you know, especially nowadays with how much it costs to take a family to the game. It's like, do you want to go to the game and get out of there an hour and a half? Or do you want to make it a – you want to make it an evening out with your family, right? So, so what or a, a great if, afternoon, what if it's right? Three hours. Yeah, and you know that. Like old... I said, if if the if the pro if the uh, product is quality, and you're seeing great players uh, making great plays and 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 doing what they do, uh, it doesn't matter how long it is. You yeah. know, a family of four. How often do they get up and go to a major league baseball game or go to an NFL game? Right. It's kind of like we're going to make the evening of it. And, exactly. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just maybe I just haven't heard the people complaining that it's too long. I know. I, I, I haven't. I haven't either. And like I, I said, I haven't seen one headline saying, "Wow, you know that was a great game, a great shootout. We set records in the Super Bowl, and it was too long." I haven't heard one person <laughs> say it was too long. Exactly. Exactly. Man, Brett, I'm with you. My brother's a huge Eagle fan. Aaron. Aaron. Yeah, he's. I'm sure he had his Eagle jersey on and acting like he's 12 years old, celebrating. But, I, I wonder uh, how no. that'll uh, fly with the uh, folks in New York, being that uh, he's the manager of the Yankees now, and he's a diehard yeah. Eagles fan. I don't know. Does that mesh? Well, he's just, you know, he's, he, he, you know, born and raised in, uh, well, not, not raised, but, I mean, his childhood, a, a good chunk of his childhood, you know, we grew up in Jersey. Right. Doing Phillies games and Sixers and Eagles, and he's always been an Eagle guy, and, and he's, uh, you know, USC and the Eagles. Yeah, where I I'm partial to him as well, but sure. I'm not 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 to the extreme as he is. He's like a true fan. Yeah, well, no, you got to respect that. Now, let me ask you a question. Something else, whether it's good or bad for the game, there's a lot of varying opinions on it. I feel like you you had a, had had a hell of a bat flip. What is your opinion on these power hitters? And some of them aren't. We even see pitchers bat flipping. What's your uh, opinion on the bat flip? When somebody hits a hits a bomb well, and they it, get it that depends, dramatic it, 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 flip, <laughs> it depends how you do it. Um, you know, mine. I just incorporated mine into my swing, so it was yeah. Swing, all right, home run, flip, and I'm on my way to first base. Right. Uh, today I see a lot of these. You know, some are great. I think the classic one. You know, I loved watching Griffey hit a home run. Oh hell yeah, poetic. I watch love watching Barry Bonds hit a home run. Yes. I mean, that was just pretty. And they had their little, you know, not maybe not necessarily a flip, but they had their way they did. That strut. But it was right. It was, it was incorporated into them running the first base. Yes, um, all in one fluid motion. Now, yeah, the ones today. I mean, you're getting kind of bat flip crazy, and and they're obnoxious. I mean, they're yes. premeditated. Yeah. You stand there, throw your bat. <laughs> uh, I don't like it, and I'm not going to sit here as a as an old retired <laughs> player and and critique the current guys because you know they do what they do for me uh they're premeditated they're not true bat flips right yeah it's almost like a wwe when everybody's doing it it's not a big deal yeah right now who was your favorite pitcher to hit off of during your career oh i don't know i hate pitchers (laughs) 
I did. I'm, I don't I'm know. sure some of them hated you too, Brett. I don't know that I had a favorite. I know I had a lot of guys I couldn't stand. You know, it, it's it's just who, like anything else. Who couldn't it's, you it's, stand? Well, I, not personally, because I tried to distance myself from any interaction with opposing pitchers. That that's why I didn't like when when uh, I was on a team and you're kind of forced to talk to your own guys, and God forbid that you become friends. Because down the road, I'm going to have to face him somewhere, and he's going to be giving me that smile on the mouth, and I don't like it. I like <laughs> not knowing you can't stand you, and I want to rip your neck off. Yeah, yeah. You know, on the field. Of course, I'm kidding when I when I mean right. I can't stand no, I mean, It wasn't a personal thing. It's just tonight you're the enemy. So sure. um, it's just like in anything else. Some guys I had their number, and, and a lot of guys had my number. You know, I the one thing I couldn't stand was going, you know, for that run in the 90s. Going to Atlanta and getting Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. Yeah. And that was a nightmare. You know, and I'd start, this is back before, you know, our smartphones and you'd, you'd go to USA Today and let's say, all right. And I'd be looking two weeks out and I'd be counting the dates saying, all right, who am I going to get, you know, 14 days from now when we go to Atlanta? And I'd be trying to do the math and say, all right, Maddox is he pitched today, so that's four days, and then he pitched. Oh, and it always seemed like it came up with the same thing. <laughs> Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, and I'm going, ah, oh. you know. Is it interesting and to you there that were certain guys? There were certain guys that were just uh, had great stuff, nasty stuff, but somehow I knew I was going into the game. Not necessarily it was a comfortable at bat, but I see him always come out of there with a hit or two hits, and yeah, and I didn't want to ask questions then on. Quite the contrary, there were guys that I'd go to the plate, and man, that ball looked like a beach ball coming in. Yeah, and I couldn't get a hit off him. <laughs> so uh, there was no rhyme or reason. It was the same with stadiums. You know, I'd go to Anaheim Stadium, and I just had a good feeling. You know, I'd go to to New York to Yankee Stadium. I had a good feeling. Wrigley Field, uh, Houston, Oakland. You know, there were just certain venues that I just thought, "Wow, I can't wait to get there" because it seems like I've had a lot of success. And then quite the contrary, you know, there were other fields where I struggled. You know, I hated playing in Baltimore for some reason. You know, it was known as a hitter-friendly park, but it seemed like, wow, I just had the scratch and claw to get a couple hits there. So uh, it was all individual, you know, and there were certain players on my team that couldn't wait to go to Camden Yards where I'm thinking, I don't hit that well there, you know. So So it it, it was all individual. Yeah. The small confines of Camden Yards maybe got in your head some. After years and years of playing, you know, I loved going to Wrigley Field. I didn't really like playing at Fenway too much. Wow. The you know, because Fenway left. had that. I knew when I was at my best, I was hitting the ball through the middle of the field in the other way. And I'd see that wall that seemed like it was 200 feet away from me. And I'm going, well, if I can just hit a pop fly to left field, that's a double. Yeah. You know, and, and it kind of got me out of my sink. So, uh, yeah, it's it was all personalized and and all of us were different and all of us had certain pitchers we loved facing certain pitchers we didn't just like uh the ballparks now brett you, you bounced around a little bit during your career did you ever have an opportunity or a want to to play for the phillies like your uh, father did um you know i never really thought about it i, I never really thought about it because i you know i started off in seattle and then i had uh uh pretty good tenure in in cincinnati and and i you know i went to cincinnati i didn't know how i was going to like it i really actually enjoyed my 
my time in Cincinnati. And then I had a couple uh, year stops. I went to Atlanta for a season, San Diego, and then back to Seattle where, you know, the, the end of my career and the, and especially the, uh, three or four out of the last five years were, were my favorite years. You know, we had, I, I personally had some big years and I just had a great uh, group of teammates. Uh, my favorite teams by far were the early 2000s uh, Mariners. Yeah. So at that point, I wasn't really thinking about um, ever wanting to play in a certain place. I was happy and my home was Seattle. And, you know, like I said, most of my success was there. Uh, my teammates who, who, were outstanding um you know i got a chance to play I, I just never thought about playing anywhere else i think late you know around the time i was going to retire it's not necessarily i wanted to play for a certain team but i was thinking well you know in my <laughs> as i come limping down the stretch and my knees are hurting it'd be nice to maybe play for the yankees or or uh, you know the cubs or somewhere where i could be you know contribute um, and have a chance to win. But I never really thought about a team like, oh, I'd really love to play for them one day. Gotcha. Now, that Mariner team that won 116 games, Yeah. what was that postseason like for you? What, what was the disappointment level in the clubhouse? I mean, what happened well, there? Such a dominant kind of a, team. Yeah, it was surreal. I mean, it's, it's still to this day, you know, when the guys get together, we had a 10-year reunion. Oh, wow. very cool. Six, six years, six, seven years ago. And still guys were thinking, how the how the heck did we lose? How did we not win? The, the season was so magical. Uh, it seemed like when we took the field, there was just an aura about us that that, that other team knew they were going to lose. They knew we were going to beat them. You could just feel it. And it was something, you know, that all of us were going through and, and knew uh, – to appreciate these times because they never happen like this. You never, you know, I remember uh, the press saying, well, Lou Pinella's really calmed down, you know, in his older age, and he's a real veteran manager now. And I used to laugh and I'd say, Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, you win every night. Yeah, that type, of, that type of winning will calm anybody down. Yeah, I don't think we lost a series till September. Wow. Which is cool. And then, I, you know, the only, if I can look to an excuse – uh, that was the year 9-11 hit, and, um, you know, everybody stopped. So, it, yeah. it, it, the, the, you know, that was a terrible time and a, and a grieving time for our country. So there was no disadvantage, advantage there. Everybody was in the, in the same boat. The only thing I can point to is when you're playing a, a big league season, usually you have six, seven, eight, maybe ten uh, press members that after every game come in and, you know, they cover the game and they do that on a daily basis. You know, you go to New York, uh, you know, you might have 15 or 20 guys just because it's a bigger, you know, it's a bigger, uh, bigger deal there. But, and then when you get to the postseason and, and the playoffs and the world series that grows to the nationwide press. So you might have 50 or 60 guys in the, in the room every night after a game. Well, that year, you know, with about two months to play, we were on that record pace, and it, it seemed like we had that postseason uh, press corps with us all the time, you know, thinking, hey, are you guys going to do it? Are you going to do it? So, you know, every night ask, answering the same questions is, hey, do you think you're going to do it? Well, we've got 50 games to go. Who knows if we're going to do it? Right. And I, the night we finally won 116, 
it was kind of like, you know, we had a little cel- mini celebration in the clubhouse and, and kind of going, oh, wow, we just made history. And it was kind of a letdown, like, oh, finally, it's over. Yeah. You know, we did it. And without realizing, wait a minute, we got to go to the postseason now and play. Yeah. You know, so if I look to an excuse, it was just that is is uh, carrying that with you. You know, I watched last year and people were starting to call me midseason. Hey, are the Dodgers are on pace to to break your record? I said, well, good luck. Right. You know? right, right. I don't right. think see, I don't think we're ever going to see in our lifetime, uh, you know, another another run like that from a from a regular season team. But in the end, we didn't get it done. And so it's a little bittersweet. <laughs> the only thing right. we can hang on. You know, we're the greatest regular season team of all time. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, man. Got a whole that that uh, whole 9-11 thing, though, that, that's, and just setting that type of record is no joke. I mean, we see that happen. Regular season teams, not that they come out flat necessarily, but for some odd reason in October, it just doesn't always uh, go their way. Well, it's just, yeah, I mean, all the hype, and it's just, you know – it's basically everybody saying, how can this team possibly lose to anybody? Right. And, you know, it's everybody's gunning for you. Everybody. Yeah. And there's some people that are flying under the radar. And I think the Arizona Diamondbacks won that season. Yes, and, they did. Uh, yes, you they You know, did. it's, it's kind of like the Eagles this year. Yeah. Like nobody gave the Eagles any credit. And they were, you know, for the last three games going into the Super Bowl, they were the underdogs playing yeah. at home. Yep. You know, which rarely happens, and and they just kind of uh, embraced it. it. It was pretty awesome. You know, their starting quarterback goes down. Nobody gave the Eagles a chance, and right. Cole steps in, and and uh, you know, it's it was kind of probably a cool ride for him. It's like nobody gave him a chance. Like I said, they're the underdog, and it was probably even a little more special for them. Kind of, kind of having the you know holding the trophy, going, yeah, you didn't think we were gonna do it. You Hell know? yeah. But, your face I, I think that's a pretty cool thing as an athlete uh totally is now do you anticipate helping your brother at all with the yankees uh this year he's got his his staff set so um you know next year we'll see we'll see but I, but i think right now aaron's you know i just had uh, breakfast with him yesterday got to see him he's off to to camp on thursday uh he's man he's been busy sure know, i could imagine and i kind of teased him yesterday i said oh you just kind of jump into the <laughs> to the biggest position there is you know from the <laughs> no pressure buddy yeah yeah you know? yeah i mean he's got a hell yeah. of a lineup right there yeah down the line you know this year uh you know he's got his he, he it's this is all new for him he's got his staff in place and uh into the future i wouldn't rule it out but right now uh you know, I'm just pulling for him to be successful, and uh, I, I've got to kind of become a Yankee fan now. A little Absolutely. Bit. So, you know, I'll be pulling for them this year, and along with always the Mariners. But um, we'll see down the road. Like I said, I wouldn't rule I wouldn't rule it out down the road. But right now, uh, you know, I'll be I'll be out there quite a bit because my son goes to school back back east in New Jersey, so I'll. I'll get to pop up and see some games, and uh, who knows what the future holds. Yeah, no, of course. Very cool. Now, the NFL just announced their Hall of Fame uh, uh, inductees. A lot of controversy around Cooperstown these days. You think Barry Bonds uh, belongs in the Hall, Brett? Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, and you know my feelings on the Hall of Fame. I think that, that they really need to change the rules. The Hall of Fame is not about – uh, not letting anybody in and it, it's about it, the hall of fame is for the fans first of all it's not for the you know 
And I just think I look at that ballot up and down. There are so many deserving players <clears throat> that should be in the Hall of Fame that aren't. And it's very, to me, they're just a little, the rules need to be changed. I mean, there needs to be, Barry Bonds, I mean, come on. He's the greatest player in the history of this sport. <laughs> right. I mean, just, and, and you, know. you know, I understand the, 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 the things that swirl around, um, but I see a lot of people playing God and saying, oh, he did it. He didn't do it. First of all, these people that are coming on, commenting on it have no idea who did and who didn't. I mean, certain guys are kind of obvious. But but who are they to say, well, he took it and he didn't take it. And he, you know, it's the era. I mean, yeah. there were a lot of I mean, this goes back far beyond uh, our generation. It's it's before that. And it's it's impossible to know unless somebody's coming up and failing tests it's impossible to know for sure who did and who didn't do it. Right. And there's a lot of people playing God, you know, maybe they like a certain player and don't like a certain player. It doesn't matter. I think you have to put everybody in the same category and you vote on era. Right. And if you dominated your era, you either see, say everybody was clean or everybody wasn't clean, but to, to pick and choose and decide. And like I said, play God and decide who, who did this and who didn't do this. I don't think that's right. I think the rules need to be changed, and there's a lot of guys that should be in the Hall of Fame that aren't. Uh, I totally agree with that, man. I really do. Um, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Jeff Ken has 15% of the votes. That's ridiculous. Yeah. He's the premier power hitting second baseman in the history of baseball. Uh, say what you want about Jeff. People don't like him. People like him. He deserves to have a heck of a lot more than 15%. And, and the thing that really stands out to me is a guy like, uh, I'm not saying Carlos Delgado is a Hall of Famer. Right. But he was a heck of a player. Damn he hit close. 400 yeah. home runs. He was off the ballot in the first vote. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> like... Uh, I would, so I would... so it's like he slipped, he slipped through the cracks. Yeah. How does that happen? How does that it's happen? It's a foolproof system, you know? Yeah. I mean, he was an um, iconic power hitter for a while. Well, look at his numbers. Yeah. Just look at his numbers, and you're saying this guy is a one-and-done on the ballot. Right. It, it's ridiculous. It, it makes no sense. Right. Jeff Kent is the all-time home run leader. He was a 290 career hitter. This is – I'm just kind of roughly uh, – yeah, yeah, don't yeah. quote me on that. No, yeah, that's numbers. fine, yeah. But he's up there in the top three in the history of the game with RBIs. Uh, he's got an MVP. It, it's just – in 15%, I, I, I just don't see it. I don't understand the voting process. You know, I think a great thing is ask, ask, ask it the peers. It's like if you go around and ask everybody from from my generation, who is the best hitter you've ever seen? I'll guarantee you, ninety-five percent of of Barry Bonds' peers will say Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter by far. And we played with a lot of great hitters, but this guy was just at a different level. Yeah, of course. By the way, my producer just pulled up Jeff Kent's career average, 290 on the dot. Yeah, I mean, he was a he, offensive player. Put him up against, you know, I mean, I don't know. Roger Hornsby. He hit more home runs than Roger Hornsby. Yeah, you know? it, it's it's inexplic inexplicable, Brett. It, it, it is insane. Cooper's, I mean, I can understand Cooperstown's Jeff, a cult. You know, <laughs> right, I understand that you know if Jeff had sixty-five or seventy percent of the, he's got fifteen. <laughs> right. And Are you looking at his numbers? Yeah, yeah. You know, and look at all the second basemen in the in the Hall of Fame, and then look at Kent's numbers. Yeah, <laughs> his are better. I know, I know. 
And I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here saying I'm a big Jeff Kent fan. <laughs> right. I'm you're, just, you're talking I'm facts. just saying, I'm just saying what's fair is fair. You know, I, I don't, as a peer, when I vote on somebody, I take nothing into consideration except for how they played the game and the numbers they, they accrued. Yep. And, and, and I vote fairly and, uh, you know, there's nothing personal when I vote. It's just what's fair is fair, and I got to give the players that deserve uh, the credit they deserve. Yep, and you know another inexplicable thing, kind of switching lanes here. Major League Baseball strong arm in the Cleveland Indians into getting rid of Chief Wahoo, a Hall yeah. of Fame once, logo. Once again, once again, go around and and uh, <laughs> take a poll. Have you ever heard anybody that said I'm offended? by the Indian. <laughs> I know, I know. If, if, I mean, if, if, if anything, it's like paying the ultimate respect. I, I agree. I would take it as a, uh, uh, I would take it as flattery. Uh, exactly. A, nobody means anything bad by it. It's just kind of been the, the symbol of the Cleveland Indians over the years. And, and I don't think it's a bad thing. And, and I just think we're in a, you know, a time where just this political correctness has gotten out of hand. And, and, uh, and let's keep in mind, Hollywood made what three movies using three mega movies using Chief Wahoo in it and that logo yeah, and that, that team and that franchise. Yeah, so yeah, all of a sudden just, now it's a I mean these are little goofy things that that we can argue about or not, but I, I just think, you know, there's just more important things in life. Let's not take things too serious. I mean, baseball is is a great game. I think it's the greatest game. Sports is is entertainment. It's yes. it's for us to come out and and get away. It's just like going to a movie, you know, mm -hmm. it's a great thing for our, for our, uh, for our morale as a country. And, and at the end of the day, we're all, we're all human beings and we're all out there earning a living and doing the best we can at what we do. And, and to have these just little side, you know, little ticky tacky things. I, I just, life is too short for that type of stuff. I know. Uh, it, it, it's, so, it's, man, know. it's maddening I mean, at times. Yeah. Yeah, it truly is. I saw a, a, a picture of you. Okay, Brett, I was looking at some uh, pictures. Uh, you dyed your hair blonde at one point. I well, dyed... first of all, if you if you dye your hair, it's dye is dark. Bleach is blonde. Uh, yeah, you're so right. It... You're a good correction. <laughs> so I bleached my hair blonde recently. Uh, How old are you? Uh, I'm about to be thirty. But I did this oh, okay. about. Okay, well, you can still you can still kind of pull it. Off. Thank you. But and I, I did it when I was 28. All right, and I caught a lot of heat from it. Guys were saying, "What the hell are you doing?" But when I was a kid, when I was young, I always wanted to do it. A lot of guys in Major League Baseball did it. Tiger Woods did it, for God's sake. And I always yeah. wanted to do it. And I never did it, so I said, "Frig it, I'm going to do it." You know, it was just like a summer thing. Well, I kind of I kind of took that on in Seattle, and and it kind of caught you know like. You know, people would. That was kind of my symbol. I had the, I had the blonde highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, now, you did know, you I catch any heat like, for that in the clubhouse? Or oh, anything? at first, but after a while, they just accepted it. Go, nope, that's what Brett does. Bleaches <laughs> his hair every three weeks. The girl comes in and does his hair. Yeah. It was something. You know, it was something I just had fun with. And, yeah. Of and course. I did it for my kind of my tenure in Seattle. Yeah. Of and. Course. uh you know, after a while, though, my kids would kind of, you know, if today I were to do it, my kids would, come on, Dad, you're 48 years old, <laughs> act like a, act like an adult. Right, right, um, right. But it was something, you know, there was nothing meant by it. It was just having fun and expressing myself, just like the guys today. You know, I see these guys with, uh, you know, pink hair or whatever they decide to do. <laughs> right, for sure. right. 
you know, and I don't take offense. I said he's, no. you know, he's in the prime of his life. He's he's having he's fun. playing major league. He's playing major league yeah. baseball, or he's playing in the NFL. And essentially, now being forty-eight, these are all kids to me. Yeah. So it's like yes, you know, yes. enjoy yourself. Don't take life too serious, and and uh, have as much fun in the prime of of your life and your career as you can. And and uh, you know, people should look at it as just a silly thing and smile and laugh and and have a good time with it. Right. And I know we need a lot more of that. We need a lot more of that. Hell yeah. You know, life is life has too many real things that are are really serious. You know. Exactly. And, I, and uh, I know, let's let's let the entertainment and sports be what it is. It's yep. it's entertainment and it's fun. It's great theater. I noticed when I had my blonde hair, man. When I would go out, the ladies loved. They respected it. And I really, <laughs> all my boys tortured me about it, so I didn't expect that. I got great feedback. Now, Brett, who was like the coolest clubhouse guy you ever played with? Oh, uh, the clubhouse. You know, oh, you mean teammate? Yeah. Oh yeah. man, I got a lot of them. I had a lot of them. Um, you can rattle a few off. That's I mean, my favorite guys who are my boys, uh, you know, Edgar, we were probably closest to each the other when Edgar I was Martins. in Seattle. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, I have so many. I mean, I couldn't go over them. I don't want to leave anybody out. I had some, some good, you know, I had a great rapport with Larkin in, in Cincinnati and a lot of – I had a lot of great teammates there, but Norm Charlton was a, I was close with Jay, Jay Buner when I was a rookie, took care of me, took me under his wing. Um, Mike Cameron's one of my favorite guys wow. of all time, you know, um, there, there were just so many, I mean, it's tough to, to point to who were my favorite, you know, yeah. guys, guys like Pat Borders wow. in yep. Seattle, who, who was up and down from the minor leagues for five years, uh, you know, he was a great part of those teams, you know, somebody you wouldn't really think about, but because he was up, down, up, down, but, but a uh, great guy. And, and there were so many, so many great guys that I, that I really enjoyed. And, and uh, th- you know, I, all these teammates that I played with over the years uh, and I won't go into it. So don't ask me, but I can count on one hand, the guys that I truly just didn't care for Wow, that, you know, on one hand, I mean, with all the players you play with, it's like I kind of got along with everybody. And, and, and uh, you know, of course, some people you were closer with. and But, right. but I really got along with my teammates. And, and when we started that season and when 7 o'clock came around, it's like we're one unit and I'm out there and I'm fighting with you. And it's, it, it's almost like I got your back. I don't, you know, whether you're my best friend, <laughs> my least favorite player of the team. You yeah. Know, for, for those three hours uh we're we're soulmates and, and we're yeah, going, exactly we're going to battle because sometimes even when you don't like a guy but you go to battle with them you grow to like somebody sure you without know? a doubt and you then, know and that's things you learn too as as a young player versus a, uh, a veteran player you know when i was young i think that's typical of, of young guys you know i was quick to judge you know and people do that all the time you walk into a room and sometimes you don't like the way a guy walks or he talks yeah and, and or especially I found out with with guys I played against, you know, I'd look at the guy across the diamond. I didn't know him at all, but I just didn't like him. I don't like how, you know, and I right, right. and then all of a sudden I'd, I'd meet him at a charity event or an off season thing. And I'd have a conversation and I'd come out of there going, I was wrong. Yeah, this is a good guy. <laughs> See, that's you know? the competitor in you. That's the Yeah, so I found a yeah. way. I found a way. I wasn't, you know, once we start playing, you're the enemy now, for three hours. Now, speaking of but after, <clears throat> But after the game, it's, uh, 
you know, I gave everybody a chance because most of the guys were good guys. Sure. Now, speaking of a guy who was uh, in the limelight for, for some crazy reasons, what was it like playing with John Rocker? <laughs> oh, goodness. Rocker. You know, Johnny, uh, I don't know. Johnny just kind of, you know, Johnny isn't a bad guy. Right. It's like he was having a great year for us in, in uh, Atlanta. And he just kind of said some goofy things and, and then kind of it became a shtick. Yeah. You know, I don't truly believe that Johnny was a racist. I don't. Right. right. Uh, but it's like all of a sudden he became this Hollywood star for for the wrong reasons. Right. And, you know, it kind of became a shtick. And, and I remember some of us in that clubhouse and there was a great Atlanta team in, in 99. I think, you know, we, we won over 100 games. Yeah. And it was kind of we wanted to talk to him and say, Johnny, here's the deal. This is tough enough. We've got enough pressure on us right now. <laughs> Why do we, you know, you don't need added pressure. Right. So just do your job, shut your mouth, be humble, and go on. And, um, you know, it's it, it just kind of took on a life of its own. And, you know, it was a distraction. Yeah, but Johnny was a great closer for us that year. And, and you know, he was going out and getting in fights with the Mets crowd. And I'm going, why would you do this? Why do you bring this on yourself? This game is so hard. And it's so hard to have success. It's just when you have success, uh, it should humble you. Like, Did wow, he enjoy it? Really Did cool. he like the drama? I don't know. You know, I didn't really hang out with Johnny right. very often. Um, you know, he's definitely a competitive guy. I mean, he was one of those one of those guys you know i'm not going to say he was crazy but he was just one of those high strung yeah oh let's go let's go let's go right. and uh i don't know if he enjoyed it i know that it was just for us it was like man this is really hard everybody's gunning we're the braves mm -hmm. you know we've kind of we go to the playoffs every year in the 90s i i only was there for a year but you know it's right? kind of like something we didn't really need yeah. on the side like i said you know johnny was johnny um i don't truly believe he was even believe in some of the things he said. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's just another thing that <laughs> another experience that I went through and, uh, you know, it yeah. was what it was. They said that I would, <laughs> I don't condone it. <laughs> right. No, I know. We know. They said that Kenny powers and Eastbound and down the HBO show was based loosely based off of John rocker, which I don't know if you got to watch any of that show and Brett, but that's, uh, that's some friggin' hilarious TV. And I don't say that often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Brett, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book, uh, Home Game, Big League Stories from My Life in Baseball's First Family. Uh, I think it came out what, about a year and a half ago. And, um, you know, it's just something over the years that, that people had expressed interest in. And, uh, you know, I had always thought I'm not a book guy. I don't tell <laughs> what, you know, what went on. And that's that's private stuff. You know, yeah. Clubhouse to me was a – was a sanctuary i mean you go to the clubhouse and that's our business and nobody else's business what we went through but you know over time i got convinced that no it's, it doesn't have to be about that it can be about your family and the heritage and, and starting with grandpa and you know i thought about it and i and i and i thought to myself this is you know this is actually a cool story um you know and i'm probably the only one that could tell it you know from from growing up in Philly and going to the ballpark when I was four and five years old, living that life, you know, my dad played for 19 years. So I kind of got to grow up in that life and 
having a grandpa that was that played in the big leagues for 12 years and and wow. uh you know just and then a brother and and it was just really an interesting and i think cool story it allowed me to go back and kind of relive my childhood and realize how uh how lucky I was and, and what a neat childhood I had that I think as kids you take for granted, but looking back, what a special thing I got to do from riding on the float in 1980 to talking with my grandpa and, and him telling me Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle stories. And, oh, and you know, sometimes that gives, me chills, Brett. I, that gives me chills. Sometimes I sit there and I say, Gramps, you told me this story 15 times, yeah. you know, but then since he's passed and, and I got to go through it and kind of relive that, it brought back a, a lot of really good memories. Probably the favorite part from the book, because I was really close with my grandpa. And uh, it just kind of brought those fond memories back and made me appreciate the time I did have with him and some insight to, to you know, firsthand knowledge of what it was like playing in the 40s and the 50s yeah. and taking train trips. And it made me, it kind of humbled me a lot to think, wow, was I pretty, pretty darn lucky. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all those times he told me that story 10 times, uh, you know, when he's long gone and, and I got to relive it, it was pretty special. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of pretty much my life, what it was like growing up, what it was like playing through my career, a little post career with, with working with the young players, current players today, my kids growing up, uh, and a lot of stories, you know, from grandpa's era and my dad's era and my era. Um, it, mostly G-rated stuff. I mean, you're not going <laughs> right. to, there's no scoop or there's no bombshell. I'm not going to yeah, talk about the controversial stuff, but, and then I have some chapters where I give you some insight, and some, some knowledge on, on the game today, some educational stuff. So mm -hmm. it was a, it was a cool book. It's an easy read. Uh, you know, the people have kind of given me good feedback, but, uh, it is what it is. Go buy the book. Absolutely. All our <laughs> listeners and myself and my producer, Benny Spielberg, over here, we're going to buy the book. It's available on Amazon. And uh, it's honestly, Brett, I mean, you're a great friggin' dude. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to reading the thing because I feel like me and you, we could talk all day and night long. And I, I'm just interested to see what's in there because it's like uh, continuing this conversation, essentially. You got it. Brett, we really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. And I, I told you this before, when I was a young guy, young player, Little League, I modeled my game after you. I played second base. Uh, and you were always a, uh, a guy I looked up to when I would watch TV as a kid and whatnot, when I watched baseball as a kid. So it's an honor to have you on this show, man. And uh, once again, thank you. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. All right, Brett. Later, man. Take care. Ah, uh, Booney delivered, Benny. He delivered Major League. What a guy. I can talk to him all day. Oh, I'm with you, Mark. He absolutely phenomenal guy. So down to earth. You never know that he had as great of a career in baseball as he had. Well, I say it all the time, and the, these are real guys too, man, and, and they're they're blue-collar guys, and, and he really is. Blue-collar work ethic and uh, just a great demeanor. I can't wait to have him back on the show. Absolutely. I'm really glad we could bring him to the On The Mark family as a baseball insider for us, and I think he's going to do tremendous. Like we said, he deserves a show of his own. Maybe we give him one.
And it's cool how excited he is for his little brother, Aaron, as are we. I'm going to be following the Yankees very closely this year, as I always do. I think that's going to be a major success. I mean, I can't see how he doesn't do a good job. I'm wishing him tremendous success to do great things and finish second behind my Orioles, which I'm sure is a pipe dream. And I'm sure, sure they will be sure absolutely is. crushing my Orioles for a <laughs> very long pass. time to come. That's going to be a couple sweeps mixed in there. More than likely. More than likely. <laughs> I just hope he maybe takes it easy on me now that we're friends with his brother. Yeah, and uh, here's the thing, man. It's Baseball is a fun ride because it's night in and night out. And I'm ready for it, man. I got football fatigue. I got NFL fatigue. And I'm ready for opening day. I'm psyched, Marky. It's great that pitchers and catchers always falls right around my birthday. Great little present. Best present I could wish for any year. And I love baseball because with spring and with the new season, just comes excitement and potential. Anything is possible. Right. I love these Phillies this year. I know they're plus 10,000 to win the World Series. Right. I'm telling you what, I already have money on them, Marky, because I really like the potential of this team just being better than everyone thinks they could be. And once that baseball season starts coming around, you know that spring break thing comes around and Memorial Day isn't too far off. Hot girls in bikinis prancing around, man. Absolutely. Let's blast through this winter, gang. We're almost through it. Funny, Booney asked me how old I was, this, that, and the other, and it got me thinking, what am I going to do for my 30th birthday, Benny? And I'm trying to decide, do I kind of do a tour of Florida where I do a Miami Lauderdale thing or do I go back to Vegas the pool's open March 3rd I can't decide how I want to spend my 30th birthday party in mid-March I'll tell you what Detroit's really nice around that time of year yeah I'm gonna go up to Detroit and introduce myself to Lions new head coach Matt Patricia get your some of the get you some of those famous Detroit hot dogs no no Detroit's not being it's Vegas or Florida Benny what do you think I should do I think you should go to Miami and get yourself to uh, some music festival or something along those lines. Yeah, because it kind of... ultra trip. Oh, man. I wanted to go last year. The flights to Miami were through the roof, but that's the secret to traveling. Book your flight well ahead of time and get those reasonable prices. You know, you can't beat a good, reasonably priced airfare. You got to love a nice, cheap vacation. It helps. It, It certainly helps. It allows you to splurge more during the vacation because you went in expecting to spend a lot more on the flight. No, yeah, and it's like good karma going into the vacation. It's like, oh, I'm playing with house money a little bit here. Absolutely. And, you know, it always gets me drinking on the airplane because I go, I barely paid anything to be on this flight right now. Might as well get a couple cocktails out of it. Love drinking on a plane, especially a, a short plane trip. Yeah, it makes me feel like I'm back in, like, the 60s or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah Almost like a Rat Pack. Yeah, Sinatra-ish kind of vibe. Right. Totally. Makes me call the stewardesses hun and sweetheart. Out of nowhere, I'm just Oh, you got to play. For our VIP listeners, and you know I I take care of our VIP listeners, you got to play the clip from the movie Made where Vince Vaughn and Jon Favreau were on the plane flying out to New York. To take care of some business. You gotta play that for our listeners, Benny. Could you stop with the Yes. Hi. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I wanna know where you're located. Where's your home? I operate out of Chicago. I'm Ricky Slade, by the way. It's nice to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you. And this is my friend here. This is uh, Robert Brasigliano. And what was your name? Terry. Terry. Here's what I'm gonna ask of you. 
turns out we're going to be spending the night in New York. So it worked out well for all of us. I want you to take it back to the business class. I want you to round up a couple honeys. At our hotel room, we're going to have kind of a pool party. Like a California gangster style, you know what I mean? Kick-ass pool party thing. Hey, listen, asshole. I don't care for the Sultan of Brunei. No man talks to me like that. Now, you can either learn some manners, or I can make a formal complaint to the airport authorities, and we can sort this out while you're waiting standby for the next flight to Kennedy. OK, yeah. What does that mean we can sort it out? Does she have to do that so that they don't know she's into my shit? Sort it out right now. All right, Benny, my top nine favorite all-time baseball players. We go with nine because of, of course, the starting nine. I like it. I like it. Smart. And these gang are just players of my lifetime that I remember watching and I enjoyed. And it doesn't mean they were the best. It doesn't mean they were a hometown hero, which is for whatever reason. I liked watching them play. I valued maybe their baseball card back in the 90s when we cared about such things. With no further ado, here is my starting nine. Top nine favorite baseball players of all time. Number nine, Mo Vaughn. What a cool name. Cool. Just unique batting stance. That's a big boy. You know, just a big dude. And... What makes it even cooler is then they get Big Poppy down the line who's like an upgraded Mo Vaughn. For sure. You Mo know? Vaughn was very cool. Very, I remember him as an angel. Absolutely. He bounced around some. For sure. And uh, had a uh, had an interesting career. I mean, he won the MVP in 95. So you can't forget about that. It's amazing how a big guy like that can be so good at a sport like baseball. Number eight, a guy who was a precursor to the Ichiro movement. I'll never forget when he beat out Chipper Jones for Rookie of the Year. Hideo Nomo. Funky windup. The funkiest. Threw a no-hitter. And uh, just a very cool, unique ball player. Cool name. Very cool name. Number seven, Kenny Lofton. Guy who had a hell of a major league career. Bounced around all over the place. And was kind of a part of the... Philly's reemergence to like relevance. He was on one of those teams that was fell short of a wild card in the early 2000s. Yeah, he was so cool. A great name, great a, guy. A real life Willie Mays Hayes. I was gonna say he is the real life Willie Mays Hayes, with more offensive potential. 100. <laughs> percent I mean, the guy was very talented all around, but the guy was a, such a speedster. And how could you not correlate him once you see? Because all I see him in is the Chief Wahoo Blue Indians jersey. Oh, hell yeah. Number six. Another guy who was a part of the Phillies' emergence, re-emergence, Yaguth Urbina, was on the world champion Marlins as a right-handed pitcher. Always liked Urbina. Urbina's in jail for life right now, I believe, for killing a guy with a machete. And then hog-tying him and lighting him on fire. But as a pitcher... I always liked his mechanics, like number 49 on a relief pitcher, like the aforementioned John Rocker, who we're going to hold off this list for legal reasons and PR reasons. Yeah, Yuguth Urbina was very excited when the Phillies signed him. Yeah, cold name. Insane to think where he's at now. 
definitely not the guy you want staring you down. And he was on that loaded Marlins spot. team. Yeah, that was an awesome team, by the way. Number five, an absolute Philly killer and a guy you feared when he came to the plate. But looking back on his career, he was so good, it's unbelievable. The legendary Larry Chipper Jones. He might be one of the coolest people alive. Ultimate ball player, unbelievably cool swing, the way he wore his uniform, and just the level of play, the consistency for all those years. Oh, such a cool guy. I just recently saw a uh, little snippet, a clip of when he gave a motivational speech before his last All-Star game. And you could just see the respect in that room by all these major league players just looking up at this absolute legend. Number five, a hard-nosed guy who's beloved in Philadelphia, the Silver Fox, Chase Utley. Chase Utley, you are the man! Wow! Love the stories of him out and about in the city talking with pretty women. Love the work he does with animals. But more importantly, loved his style of play. Old school throwback guy who I think would be an awesome manager one day. Absolutely. Such a cool guy. How could you not love Chase Utley from day one, Mark? From day one. What was it? His first game hit a grand slam at the vet? Yeah. I remember being on my grandmother's living room floor on 13th Street. And I was excited because at the time the Phillies were bringing up prospects. And they brought up Chase. And I liked the name. How could you not? I like, it's such a cool name. You know, I like the number. I was always. And he's a, a hustler, too. Of course. And I was always attracted to second baseman for being a second baseman. So I liked the Mickey Morandinis of the world, the Brett Boons of the world. So I was ready to give this Chase Utley guy a shot. Bang. Grand slam. I felt like he was very clutch throughout his career. Absolutely undeniable. World fucking champions! Number four. A member of the Bash Brothers and a Twitter icon, Jose Canseco. Man, the stories about Canseco are unbelievable. He was a phenom in his prime, and he's such a character, almost like a WWE-style character. You can't help but appreciate that in the game of baseball. Absolutely. I'm actually surprised he didn't get a run in wrestling for a little bit there. But at the end of the day, Jose is just such a cool guy and possibly the most honest guy in baseball, which is such a secret society sort of type of feel. Yeah, baseball does have a secret society type of feel for sure. And gang, real quick, I'm going to insert this little segment, the Instagram follow of the week, and it's Jose Canseco's daughter. She is absolutely gorgeous. Josie Canseco, J-O-S-I-E Canseco. She's like a supermodel or model uh, worldwide. Give her an Instagram follow, please. She is a blonde bombshell. Josie, can you see on and, Instagram? And hilarious that his name's Jose and she's named Josie. Josie. <laughs> Number three, Jim Edmonds, otherwise known as the White Ken Griffin. Made dazzling catches, career 280 hitter. Just put up some great numbers. And he was a highlight reel waiting to happen. You know when baseball tonight in ESPN was great? Yeah, absolutely. It used to be great. And Jim Edmonds was absolutely fantastic. Talk about a great first step 
that guy was always on that ball. And uh, unbelievable the catches that that man was able to make over his time. I mean, he's made some iconic catches. Actually, a little bit shorter of a career than people remember. I think he was only in the league nine, ten seasons. You know, which is unusual. Great ball players, they usually go 14, 15 years. But like Griffey, he had some injury issues he was dealing with. Yeah, Edmonds played the game willing to run through a wall yep. at all times. And when you play that way, it's going to beat up your body. But at the end of the day, I think it's almost funny. Jim Edmonds being such a great fielder has almost diminished people remembering how great of a hitter he actually was. And he had a he cool was, batting stance. Yeah, he was a d- dangerous hitter at that plate, marking. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when you make unbelievable catches in the field, people tend to forget some of your great at-bats. Yeah, he had some iconic moments, to say the least. World Series champion Jim Edmonds. Number two, hashtag respect, Derek Jeter. Now batting for the Indians, number two, Derek Jeter, number two. The longevity. Playing, being the shortstop for the Yankees is almost like being the quarterback for the Cowboys. It's an iconic kind of position now. The list of girls that he ran through is mind-boggling and a Hall of Fame feat. Just that alone. Even from an Orioles fan, a diehard Orioles fan, I, you have to respect Jeter. It, he is unmatched. But I'll say this, he is lucky he wasn't around during the time of social media and Twitter. Might have gotten into some trouble. And TMZ. He would, he would not have a squeaky clean record, I guarantee you, or at least be looked at as yeah. this top, top guy. And he's gotten some heat since he took over management. Yeah, he would maybe be perceived as a womanizer or something. Yeah, and listen, I like the guy, so I'm not trying to start anything, square right. anything up. I'm just saying he should be grateful that he had his career when he had his career. And Agreed. it was a great career. Unbelievable. Agreed. Almost unmatched. I will say this. I think his iconic play uh, against the Oakland A's where he cut the ball off and flipped it uh, with his body going in another direction to the catcher was slightly overrated. I totally agree. And that's something that, you know, I don't know. I, I don't feel like was that impressive. I just don't feel like was that overly impressive of a play. Okay, well, if we're on somewhat overrated Jeter highlights, the one where he takes three steps and then falls into the crowd, he yeah. makes the catch, yeah. takes three steps, and then goes into the crowd. And people make it out to be... People, guys are literally diving four rows into crowd yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. and making a catch next to a guy with a beer trying to catch yeah, it. That's the product of being a, a New York uh, Yankees shortstop. I'm not hating. I'm just trying to say uh, that one I always found right. getting blown up a little because he got a cut on the cheek. Now my number one guy, and this kind of came late, later in his career that I decided this, but Alex Rodriguez. The guy milked the game financially for all it was worth. He was in the midst of so much drama with Major League Baseball, these massive suspensions, and he really, like, never wavered. He never really let the pressure, like, kill him. He would still strike out and look, like, confident as hell, glance up at the scoreboard and look at the replay, like, how we missed that pitch or something. You know, I re- you love a confident baseball player. That's a key thing you look for. The backroom card games with actors... Apparently, you know, 
members of organized crime, all types of stories like that. There's stories of, I believe it was Jose Canseco getting home and Alex Rodriguez was in his house in a robe with Jose Canseco's wife giving him a massage. <laughs> Shit like that is hilarious, not to mention having drug mules from South America come through. He's a badass dude, man. Now with J-Lo. They, they had a thing before. J-Lo didn't trust them. Hired uh, uh, private investigators to follow him around. I mean, that's awesome. That's hilarious. He's an alpha male, Benny. Not to mention, he had South Philadelphia legend John Marzano as his uh, kid's godfather. I mean, so if that isn't the ultimate compliment... Uh, and something that's beyond cool because A-Rod's, A-Rod was a Bronx guy, Florida guy, Marzano, a, a South Philly neighborhood guy. So a lot in common there. That right there tells you he's a, a neighborhood kind of guy, down-to-earth guy. But on the same token, you know, he's got it going on. He's a playboy. A-Rod's a boss. He's a mogul, man. You got to respect a guy like that and he took baseball and milked it for all it was worth and he just keeps paying dividends this man has how many jobs right he is in front stage on how many networks constantly he just brokered the first ever deal between fox and espn where he gets to what's that called twilight and essentially work for both he gets to announce now Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, but also be a Fox Baseball analyst. Yeah, it's don't um, forget the guy's um, on Shark Tank now also. And if you follow him on Instagram, and A-Rod is another great follow, not just for him because you get a lot of pictures and videos of J-Lo, but he's always at business meetings and making business deals. He's a big-time guy. I, I, I love the guy. He's an icon. The ironic part is when he buys a team, He's actually going to buy the team, unlike Derek Jeter, uh, right, right. who rented the team, essentially. Essentially, right. He's the man, and this may sound weird, his accent cracks me up. It's not like a broken English accent kind of thing. He, you know, he he just has this weird, like, slang thing. It's not even slang, it's a pronunciation thing. Sure, And it sure. just cracks me the hell up. What cracks me up is watching him on those uh, TV shows, especially the pre-game and post-game on Fox or TBS, whichever one it is, and seeing just how calculated every single move is. It's like he has a clock in his head that when, like, two seconds goes when he hasn't done anything, he has to look a different direction or start nodding or make a great point. comment or something he has to do something he always needs to be moving and be engaging the camera even when he's not talking (laughs) he's a showman he has to be engaging the camera at all times it it wants you i can't take my eyes off him i watch him i don't watch anybody else talking i just look at a rod even when he's not talking and let me just say this honorable mention local guy local italian mike piazza the italian of the week prolific the most prolific opposite field power hitter of our time of all time gotta respect the relationship the father-son relationship he had with Tommy Lasorda he's a proud Italian believe he managed Team Italy in the World Baseball Classic if you follow him on Twitter he's always talking some type of nonsense he's a good Twitter follow I don't believe he's on Instagram 
But that's a Twitter follow for you guys that might be worth that might be worth your time. Loved Piazza's game because catchers that can hit are always at a premium, and he could hit the shit out of the ball. Played for two cool teams in the Dodgers and the Mets. The Subway Series Mets team, where he had that encounter with Roger Clemens, which was very strange. Legendary. Which was legendary and strange. And he was on those excellent Dodgers teams, of course, managed by Tommy Lasorda. So that's our honorable mention. If the list was top 10, like it probably should have been on any other normal show, he would have been the 10th guy. But typical us, Benny. Nothing's normal here at On The Mark. It's baseball. You have a roster of nine guys, Marky. That's right. You have a lineup of nine guys. Backyard baseball. Uh, Another honorable mention, Pablo Sanchez. He was a five-tool baseball player. He was always your first-round pick in backyard baseball. Got to miss the computer games, Benny. Just like baseball cards, they kind of went in the 90s. Computer games did too. Doom, Duke Nukem, SimCity. Roller Coaster Tycoon, Age of Empires. Those are some good games. Roller Coaster Tycoon <laughs> was really a great game, Marky. It was. I loved SimCity. I loved Age of Empires, too. I, computer games were the shit to me. I don't know why. I just liked them. I spent a lot of time growing up on computer games. Yeah, me too. I hear you. I, I did, too. You know, as much as I like to be out and about playing sports, hanging with friends riding my bike, doing productive shit. I really enjoyed, maybe it was a night after school, just a night you're not doing anything, nestling in on the desktop, another thing we don't have anymore, the desktop computer, and playing a video, a computer game. Because it was the first multiplayer action. Yeah, it was good times, Marky. Good memories. Back in the day. The 90s, there was a lot of 90s influence on my baseball list. You could tell how much I like the 90s, right, Ben? Absolutely. Who doesn't like the 90s? Well, VIP listeners, we hope you enjoyed the show, baseball tonight. Personally, we thought it was a home run. And with that being said, we are out of here! It is out of here! Coaches and owners not giving me the shit I need to win. Atlanta, you're fucking out.
Kenny Powers is now a free agent. Find a bar and get shit-faced, huh? Get me paid, bitch! Superstar!